0: are starting out the book of Mark. So if you would open up to the very beginning, Mark 1. I'm just going to read the first eight verses this morning. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
1: Good morning, everyone. I think this is the largest 10 o'clock we've had for months and months, which is great. And uh, let me say, I spoke to my warden, Tim Evans, this morning, and he said, all things going well, we will have keys to the new building tomorrow, which is very, very exciting. It's worth saying there's a third part, which is the courtyard. That won't be finished for a couple of weeks. They're well underway. Uh, If you can just pray we get some good weather, the tiling out the front was meant to be finished this week but obviously the rain has uh, slowed them down but uh, it, we are very very close and if you're here on Wednesday night you get to get first look as we pray through and over the building so it'll be a very exciting night so I do encourage you to come down let's pray as we begin this journey looking at Mark's gospel the story that changes everything father we do thank you for your scriptures we thank you for what they communicate to us most important that they tell us about Jesus And as we look at Mark, this term, these first three chapters, Father, just warm our hearts and fill us with faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know what you're like, but I personally, um, I wouldn't say I'm addicted, but I do like watching, reading news. Uh, it's a fascinating thing just to find out what's happening in the world and one of our rituals at home is we love to read uh, the news. Uh, I'm online, Kath loves the paper edition more than me. Uh, we subscribe to both. We also love watching the nightly news. And most of the time what you see in here and what you read is interesting, but it's not what you would call earth shattering. But every now and again you'll hear some news that is very significant, And I do well remember, I think it was the 7th of January, I had swum with the pink caps and I was there with Bruce Baird and Tim Holloway and we'd gone to Shelley Beach and back and we were climbing out of the surf and we got up to the top and the news had come that there were riots on Capitol Hill in Washington. And that Donald Trump had literally whipped a crowd into a frenzy, as he was wont to do, and his supporters had stormed that building. Now that was significant news. And Tim Holloway, if you don't know him, he's both Australian and he's an American. Uh, His family's back in the States. And there was a great sense of despair that day as he heard about what was happening in his home country. But as significant as it was, it wasn't really news that changed everything. We already knew what sort of person Donald Trump was. And as bad as the riots were, sadly, I think most of us probably weren't that surprised. In fact, in the media, they'd predicted that the possibility of violence was quite significant. News that changes everything isn't news that's just over there. I mean, we watched it, we were horrified, but our lives went on as normal back here in Australia. News that changes everything is something that affects people over there, but it also affects us here. And as I thought about news that really has affected everyone, you couldn't help but think, So there's the riots of what's happened in the last 12 months. And I think it was on the 27th of January, we had our first person infected with COVID-19 last year. And there's no doubt that news changed everything. And within months, we're in lockdown. And who would have thought 12 months on from that first case being discovered here in Australia that we'd be here in church with masks on? that you'd be watching at home, that the church would be half empty, that you've got to sit arm distance apart. I mean everything changed and that's the reality that we live with. And we're starting a series today which is called Mark's Gospel, the story that changes everything and it's an audacious title in many ways. Because you might be sitting there going, how on earth does this one book of the Bible that we call Mark change everything? Well, I want to say that's the journey we're on. And if you're new to the Christian faith, it's a great week to be here. Because we start this journey in Mark's gospel looking at a story that literally has changed the world. And all sorts of research has gone into The way this story has absolutely changed their world. I'm not going to go into that today. I'm going to share a bit of that next week. But this is a story that changes everything. And if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to open up. We're at Mark chapter 1. And let me say, we can't have Bibles in the church like we used to. Uh, because of COVID. If you've got them on your devices, great, open up, have a look. If you haven't got your Bible, let me encourage you to bring it along next week uh, as we go through Mark's Gospel. And if you're watching online, now's a great time to get them out. We're going to turn up to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And the first verse of Mark's Gospel is really an introduction to the Gospel. And this is a wonderful book, and it says this, the beginning of the Gospel of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Just excuse me one second. Let me just move that there. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is the news that I believe actually changes everything. It's a story, historical story, that has changed the world. Now, because this is the first week of the series in Mark, I thought I'd just make a couple of introductory comments for those who are not familiar with Mark's Gospel about what Mark's gospel is and the first thing to say is this, Um, Mark wrote the gospel. Now that seems a very obvious thing to say, we call it Mark's gospel. If you read Mark's gospel and I would encourage you, go away and read it, it's a short read, you could read it in about half an hour's time, Uh, you actually won't read any description of Mark talking about himself or the fact that he wrote it. But what we know is from the second century, roughly about 120 AD, there was a bishop called Papias And he's recorded and it's in a book that was written by Eusebius who recorded the church history of the first couple of centuries that he said this, Mark became Peter's interpreter and when he speaks of Peter he's talking of the Apostle Peter and so Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered. Not indeed in order of the things said or done by the Lord, for he had not heard the Lord, nor had he followed him. But later on, as I said, he followed Peter, who used to give teaching as necessity demanded. And what um, Papias was saying here is that Peter was the apostle, one of the inner circle, those closest to Jesus. And Peter went out and he preached his personal recollections and experiences of being with Jesus. And Mark attached himself to Peter as his follower. And we know from the book of Acts that Mark is called John Mark, and he was heavily involved in the mission of the early church. And by the end of both Mark and Peter's life, which is in the early 60s, because Peter was crucified in Rome, Peter describes Mark in his letter to the churches in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, as his beloved son. And so they're incredibly close together and basically Mark wrote down Peter's recollections of the gospel and he put together for us this incredibly well-crafted story about the Lord Jesus. Second thing to say is it's the first gospel written in the New Testament and it was probably written in the late 50s or early 60s, only about 30 years after Jesus' ministry. Now some people say "Gee, that's a bit of a time frame, now let me say that's very early. If you know anything about the way Greco-Roman history was written, it was typically written 100 to 200 years after the event. This is written very early after, and it's in the absolute lifetime of those that they're writing about so that they could correct anything that was wrong. And it wasn't the first letter or piece of New Testament written. The first piece of the New Testament written is actually the letters. Paul uh, was the first to pen letters to the churches that we now have in our Bibles. He wrote them out of necessity so that the churches could work out how they operated, what they should believe. The Gospels came later because the Gospels, first of all, were a preached event. The, The Apostles went out and preached them and told the stories. But they soon worked out that these stories, if they were to go to the world, needed to be written down. And so Mark did that, Matthew did that, Luke did that, and finally John did that at the end of the first century. And what you would best describe Mark's gospel is, a historical biography of Jesus. And it's worth noting that because uh, people often read Mark and they go, look, why isn't there anything about his origins, his family, his childhood? Well, if you wrote a biography of a great person in the Greco-Roman world, you just wouldn't include that. They weren't interested in that. They weren't interested in the psychology of the person, what he'd been through at that level, at a personal note. They were interested in their deeds, what they'd done, philosophers in what they taught. And what you've got here... Is typical of what you would get of a biography of a great statesman or a general with some differences. You'd have a very short introduction and then you would get into the main game and that's exactly what we've got with Mark's Gospel. And it's not just a story, it's a historical biography about real events that took place in real history. That's what we're reading but it's crafted in the most magnificent way and we had the first eight verses read I'm actually only going to speak on the first three there's so much to say (laughs) and it's so exciting when you start to read and the scriptures come alive I'm going to come back to the other verses next week and so let's have a look at this first verse the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God and there's four terms there that really I want to structure my message around Uh, The good news, Jesus, the Messiah and the Son of God, because these four terms are very significant in terms of the way Mark starts his story. It unusually begins with the word beginning. Now, grammatically, I think it's probably better off coming at the start in our translations with verse 2. In other words, you could say it's the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, which began with the prophet Isaiah. I'll come to that later on. But these four terms are very significant. The first one is this good news. Now, uh, you don't have to be around churches long to know that we speak about the good news of the gospel, and in saying that, we're actually saying the same word. Uh, good news, the word here, is actually the Greek word for gospel. And some translations have it as the good news, some as the gospel. What they're saying is, this is the beginning of the announcement. And the word gospel in the first century, in terms of its Greco-Roman background, was this word that spoke of an announcement or news that had authority and significance. And Mark is saying, I've got an announcement for the world. Now at this time, that word had been picked up by the Apostle Paul in his writings. And it was the word that was used by the early church to best describe the message about Jesus, it was this announcement to the world. Now, the word also has its origins in the Old Testament. And I'll put up a verse for you. It comes from Isaiah, and i picked Isaiah because Mark quotes Isaiah, a verse preceding this one I've got on the screen. And Isaiah wrote this. He said about the fact that God was going to come. He said, you who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice, with a shout, lift it up, don't be afraid, say to the towns of uh, Judah, here is your God. And that word, to bring good news, is where we get the word gospel from, or if I could say, the activity of gospeling. And Isaiah is speaking about the fact that there will be people who will be gospeling, they will be bringing good news. And what's the announcement? They've got this wonderful news, God is finally... It'll come to you. We'll come back to that at the end. But Mark is saying, I've got incredible news for you. And I want you to read my story. Because it's a story that changes everything. So that's the first thing. We have good news. It's the gospel. Secondly, it's all about Jesus. The good news is not about a new way of life, though the gospel will give you that. The good news is not about a new philosophy, but the gospel will absolutely change how you think about reality and about what life's about. And the gospel has often been reduced very unhelpfully in church circles to just a set of rules and morality. And yes, there are ethics that come with knowing Jesus, but the good news, Mark says, it's actually about a person. And that is so fundamental to what the Christian faith is. At the heart of our faith is a person that we relate to personally and we know personally. And it speaks of the very relational nature that is at the heart of what it means to be Christian and to be human. And he wants to announce to us this person called Jesus. And this gospel is all about this incredible person called Jesus. it's about his incredible deeds, his teaching, his rejection and then his suffering and death before the conquering of death itself with his resurrection. And one of the reasons we go back to reading the gospel each year is because it just refreshes us with who he is. And the vision of the church, as Scott prayed, is that we will grow God's church through the gospel, through the announcement of this news about Jesus. And if we are to be a church that grows the church through the gospel, we need to be refreshed in the gospel. And the gospel, the news about Jesus is what's converted, what brings us to faith in Christ and to knowledge of God. And it's what grows us in our faith in Christ and our knowledge of God. You never move away from the gospel and we never move away from Jesus. He's at the heart of our faith. Now Mark goes on to say two things about who he is. He describes him as both the Messiah and as the Son of God. Now the term Messiah is one that has come into our common language in English as a very common phrase. And you can probably think of uh, the times you've heard people described as having a Messiah complex. You're talking about someone who thinks that they are here to save the world. Couldn't help but think of Donald Trump as someone who's got a messiah complex. I mean, you just have to read the phrase, I'm here to make America great again. I mean, he is the greatest example of someone with a messiah complex I've seen in the last 50 years. Astounding. Without, I'm not going to make any comments about him, only to say that speaks of him. And there's all kinds of ways the Bible has, if I can say, affected and influenced our language to be a good Samaritan. One of my favourite ones is to have a comeback greater than Lazarus. I love the description that uh, was made of John Howard when he made his comeback into politics. He had a comeback greater than Lazarus with four triple bypasses. And of course they're speaking about someone coming back from the dead. Well Messiah is another word that's coming to our language from, that, uh, from the scriptures. But it's a word that was rooted deeply in the Old Testament and it's a word that described God's anointed king. And Saul was the first Messiah, he was the anointed king, he was a failure in many ways, he was replaced by David, the great King David. And from David onwards, there was a promise attached to David in chapter 2 uh, to Samuel chapter 7 verse 14 that another son would come, a king who would be like him. And as you read the Old Testament, you read of the promises that a Messiah is going to come and he will rescue the people of Israel. And what Mark announces is this Messiah, this hope that you've got for the king to rescue you, he's here and it's the person of Jesus. But then he adds this, son of God. Now what's interesting, if you go back to your Old Testament, uh, there is often a linkage between being the king and being the son of God. And 2 Samuel 7:14 that I just mentioned speaks in verse 13 of the king and then in verse 14 that this king will be like a son to God. If you go to chapter, uh, Psalm, chapter two, sorry, Psalm 2, verse 6 speaks of the King, verse 7 speaks of the Son of God. And so for many people in the ancient world in Israel, they would have seen, they would have thought that, well, when you're talking about the Son of God, you're talking about someone who is going to come and be this King, and so Messiah, Son of God. They're almost interchangeable, but there's something more going on with what Mark says here. And this is why the news and this story is so profound. Have a look at verses 2 and 3 if you've got your Bibles there. You could say verse 1 says the good news about Jesus the Messiah, who's also the Son of God, that began in the writings of Isaiah the prophet. And I'll read to you what Isaiah says. Sorry, what Mark says in verse 2 and 3, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, if you can have a look on the screen, I've separated that quote out into two parts in green and blue. And the reason I've done that is because it's not just Isaiah that's quoted. Uh, The part in blue is actually the prophet Malachi, who was the last prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied first, Malachi came much later. Let me read the Malachi quote. I will send my messenger ahead of you, which we know is John the Baptist, who will prepare your way. What's he preparing the way for? Well, Malachi says, the Lord is going to come in judgment to his temple before he refines and saves. It'll be an awesome day, a fearsome day, as God returns to judge. So that's Malachi. God is going to turn up. Isaiah says, salvation is coming. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord Make straight paths for him. He also said God is going to come. And when you read later on in verse 10 of Malachi 40, he says God will appear. And why does Mark pick up these two and put them together? Because what he's saying is this hope, this promise that God would come is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Let me just step back from uh, Mark's Gospel. We're just reading the introduction here. And you see, Mark is written for us as the reader to discover something. He's written a story. And he tells us up front, this is what it's about. Uh, I'm telling you the greatest story you'll ever read because it's about the greatest news you'll ever hear. That this person that we've discovered who's come into our world historically, born, lived, died, rose again, his name is Jesus, and he's both the Messiah, but he's also God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. And so when you read through this gospel, just keep that in mind. And what he does is he takes us into the world of the disciples, the first followers, and we go on this journey with the disciples. As they discover who Jesus is. Now the interesting thing is he keeps dropping clues to remind you about what he's told you as you read through Mark's Gospel. It's a very cleverly piece of uh, written literature. And so next week we'll see verse 9, you get a voice from heaven saying actually this is my son. It's this divine affirmation, this is not just a human being you're dealing with, this is my son. Chapter 3, an unclean spirit knows who Jesus is. How does he know who Jesus is? Because he is from the heavens and the earth and he knows the world of darkness. And he knows that before him is the Son of God. And that's how he describes him. The demoniac in chapter 5, the Holy One of God, God's Son. What do you want to do with me? And he's afraid. Chapter 9, God speaks again, this is my son. And you see, Mark drops all these clues through the reading, through his gospel, to keep telling you God has turned up. And you journey with the disciples who just struggle to get it. And the climax comes in chapter 15, when finally someone works it out. And it's not the disciples do you know who it is it's a Roman centurion who looks up at Jesus dying on the cross in what from earthly reflections would be the moment of agony and defeat but from a divine point of view is when you see the incredible glory of who Jesus is as he dies for the sins of the world and the centurion just looks up and goes surely this man was the Son of God. And I want to read to you um, a reflection that was given by a Greco-Roman scholar whose name was Gunther Zuntz. Love the name. And it's a reflection that he made in the middle of the 20th century and he had been a Greco-Roman scholar who was not familiar with the Gospels or the New Testament. And someone invited him to actually read Mark's gospel to someone who knew the literature of the day, but not this piece of literature. And they wanted to find out his first impressions of reading the gospel. And I love what was said by this guy who came with fresh eyes, but understood the writings of the first century. The style and content of the story aroused feelings of otherness. A feeling that this is not a history like other histories, not a biography like other biographies but a development of the actions, sayings, and sufferings of a higher being on his way through the anxious world of human beings and demons. And you see, as he first reads the story, he grasps that there's something incredible happening here in the book. He's meeting the divine. And friends, that is the story that has changed this world in so many ways. You cannot understand Western culture and all that we hold dear without understanding that this actually originates in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and this story changed everything. And friends, that's the journey we're going to be on for the next few years as we go to Mark's gospel. We're going to look at chapters 1 to 3 over this term. Well, let me finish by just reflecting on where we're at as a church and tying it into this. I sat there during the week asking a number of questions of myself as the senior minister. And I thought, what's going to keep us going as a church in 2021? Uh, It was a horrendous year last year. Uh, You know, it's a year that you'd just be happy to rub out of the calendar and say it didn't exist. With all the complications of COVID, And then for me personally, throw on top of that the complications of the building and the builders going bust, etc. What will get us through this year? Because I don't think this year is going to be a walk in the park in any way, shape or form. Well, it's actually the gospel. It's our knowledge that God has come amongst us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, and that we know him and that whatever happens, though the earth may quake and the oceans may do whatever they do, We have a solid rock to base our life on. The coming of God in the person of his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what will keep us going. It's actually the gospel. Another question I thought, why are we doing a prayer and fasting? I mean, I love food. (laughs) I love it. And I do love Marilyn's comments. You know, she has a, what was the phrase? Um, Mixed thoughts about it. And I do too. But my greater hunger is not for a medium rare sirloin steak on the grill. Or a piece of sashimi'd fresh kingfish with soy sauce and wasabi. As great as that is. It's to see the kingdom of God come. It's to see the gospel go out. That's what my hunger is for. And in this crazy year we've been through, may that continue to be our hunger. And that's why we want to set aside time this week as we start the year and particularly as we open this building to rededicate our lives to the gospel and to have a hunger and thirst for it over and above every other thing that clamors for our attention and our taste and our wallets and our money and our time, that our hunger is for Jesus And may we seek him this year and particularly this week. And I don't want to be legalistic about how you pray and fast. I'm going to be doing things differently this year. But do try and pray and fast in whatever way you can. I thought, what are the opportunities for us this year? Well, tomorrow we get the keys for the building. That opens up for ministry straight away. It's going to be exciting to welcome people in. And hopefully a vaccine is rolled out across the country and life will become a little bit more normal. But, you know, there's an opportunity that's with us every day and it's to share this news, this story, with those who don't know it. It's to live this story out in our own life and live out what it means to be redeemed. And you see, just like last year, this year, we have that same opportunity to be people of the gospel who share it and live it with what we do. I thought, what are the challenges for us this year? Uh, There's no doubt getting people back into this building is one of the great challenges. And look, thank you for turning up this morning. And if you're listening online, I think one of the things we really want to encourage you to do is as we can fit more people in, come on down. And next week will be very exciting as we start our kids' ministry over in the building and at five o'clock our youth and kids as well. It is a big challenge. We really need to reset serving in the church after all that's happened. There are financial challenges, I mean JobKeeper was incredible but it stopped for us. And I've got to encourage all of us to not just give but we need to increase our giving this year to meet our budgets. But I think there's a bigger challenge and it's the same challenge every year. Will you actually keep believing the gospel? That's actually the challenge that's under every other challenge in terms of why we go to church, why we serve, why we share, why we give. It's do I actually believe this message? That God himself turned up and died for my sins. That God himself, in the person of his son, defeated death with his resurrection. And that I have a sure and certain hope of eternity through him. That there is a heaven and a hell coming and we need to be the people who are announcing this news to the world. Friends, the challenge for all of us is, will you keep, will I keep believing that story? You see, we all need to belong, we all need to serve, we all need to belong, we all need to love, we need to share, we need to give. But most of all, what we need to do in 2021 is actually believe this story and have it continue to shape our lives.